Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for coming back for part two of the We Have an Altar series that is just getting underway again. Who knows how long it's going to be. Just to review just a tiny bit, we talked about how an altar from the standpoint of an altar unto Yahweh Elohim specifically It is a reaction. It is a response. It's a tangible recognition of a marking and a memorial making a statement to everybody around that there is one Elohim of Elohim's period, and his name is Yahweh. And so we talked about how an altar cannot be an altar without a sacrifice. There's got to be a sacrifice on the altar to make it even qualify as being one. And we began to talk just a little bit about the scriptural writings and records of an altar coming on the scene. We know, again, as we referenced, that Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. So I don't think it's too presumptuous to say that they erected an altar. Um, But we did talk about how in Genesis chapter 8, we see word for word, and, and Noah built erected, established an altar to Yahweh. That's really the first time we see that actual line. Um, so I'm just trying to be clear. I don't. We're not saying we have to tag when the first altar was officially established by man. We don't have to do that. But it's just intriguing to go through the scripture about when we're told things for the first time. I like doing that. And so Noah, he built an altar, as we talked about, of course, on the other side of the flood and their deliverance. And we talked about how it is a response, a marker, and a memorial. And I want to make clear throughout the rest of this series, however many parts it is, that we are not trying to gain Yahweh's attention by establishing altars. We're not trying to demand He comes come down. And I had a little tinge of that in my thoughts in part one, and I just would like to elaborate on that for just a mere moment, and then we'll continue on with today's slides and text. I just get real concerned when I when I think about the Christianity of my age and just how ramped up we get at formulas to, I like to call, demand God's presence. In a sense, we demand He show up. We've, we've done our worship songs. We dim the lights. We said the prayer. We've done all these things, and now we sit or we stand or we shout real loud, real excitedly, whatever our formula is for whatever the denominational leaning is, and we now, okay, now God's presence must come. (laughs) We've done our part, and we just have to really be careful because even with whether, even when we're talking about Torah community, well, I've done the checklist of Torah, now I have to be magically prepared for the presence of God to come or to be here. And we just have to be careful the unction of why we're doing what we're doing and what exactly the biblical pattern is about Yahweh and an altar. We have an altar, which is what we're gearing up towards the culmination of this. We have an altar, and so we're going to, in a sense, answer some questions we're posing along the way with the Bible itself. And so we talked about how just speculatively speaking, if Yahweh himself created the first altar, because again, how did men know? That's the question I'm asking. 
How did men know to build an altar? Why? We're not told specifically that I know of where a certain individual was told how to build an altar by Yahweh or anything like that. We're not told of a man instituting an idea, a plan of how to build an altar. We just know that Noah came out of the ark delivered and free and he erected an altar. Well, why did he do that? Just posing questions. If you know answers, let us know. Um, so let's pick up where we were, where we left off here. Okay, when and where was the first altar? This is, this is exactly segued into what I'm saying right here and now. Where did they see an altar first? Where, where did it show up? How did they know what to do? Um, now, in Exodus chapter 20, we see some, some altar specifications show up. Um, trying to debate on whether or not to read all of that, just for the sake of time. Pause this, or afterwards, read Exodus chapter 20. We see some altar specifications come onto the scene. No cut stone, no engravings, no decorations, no embellishments. Imagine how unimpressive it would have been. Like, now we think today, and this is a thing, right? Like, it's funny because the New Testament church, just normal American Christianity, says that, you know, we just need to be us. Just be be us. God loves us. Just come as you are. Jesus loves you just as you are. And, you know, I'm not saying it's not true. But we do so many things to embellish a lot of things to gain Yahweh's accolades, to get his attention, as we've already touched on in measure, of course. But in Exodus chapter 20, we don't see anything impressive. Throughout history, man has, has come along and now, again, temple, tabernacle aside, all these things, yes, the, we have to understand what we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about the Ark of the Covenant. We're talking about an altar, okay? So let's just read some text. You shall make an altar of earth for me, capital M, me, Yahweh. You shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered... I will come to you and I will bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you wield your chisel on it, you will profane it. Man, we talk about this word on the program all the time. Profane. Make common. We've made so many things common and profaned. Why? Now this, this could teach for days right here. Because we put our chisel to it. We put our little spin on it. We make it, look what I did for you, God. Look at all of what I did, what I built for you. And Yahweh's saying, you know what? I'm glad you did that, but that's not what I wanted. That's not what I desired. We need to go back and remember what he's asked of us, what he desires. Because if we've added to it, we're no different than the Pharisees that, that Yeshua himself came and, and condemned, not because they were doing the law of Moses, but because they made their own law on top of it. They did it a little bit extra. They said, look, Yahweh, we're doing that and even more. And then we're going to put all this more 
burden. It, that was the burden that Yeshua was talking about. I'm saying this because there's many people I know that watch the program that do not know this yet, just like I didn't know this until two years ago. This burden that Yeshua talked about being placed on these people that was too much for the people to bear was the, was the extra laws of the teachers of the age. It was the oral traditions of men, not the law of Moses, not the laws of Yahweh Elohim. No way. That would be absurd. What happened? In my opinion, <laughs> they wheeled a chisel on it. They embellished it. They gave it a little bit more something, right? And so in this case, specifically in Exodus chapter 20, Yahweh's saying at the outset, build an altar for me like this, but don't make it all fancy. Don't customize it and make it all whatever you think is best. Do this. Much of it was dirt and stone. And I will just make a spiritual connection here, if you'll allow me. What are we? We're just dirt. We're just dirt, man. Formed and fashioned from it and returning to it. Held together by the very breath of Yahweh Elohim, the perfect creator God, who breathed life into these lungs that he formed himself. He holds it all together. This intricate being that I am. Now, let's talk about this for just a moment um, and contrast the Tower of Babel. People say what? Now, again, why am I bringing this up? Just to be clear, this, this first instruction towards building an altar. Build, make an altar of earth for me, Yahweh said, to make the sacrifice offerings, the peace offerings, sheep, oxen. Don't cut the stone and wield a chisel on it and make it common and profane. Now, now, to me, my mind went to the Tower of Babel. Why? People said, let us build something for ourselves. Let us begin to what? We know that that was the major downfall of the Tower of Babel. Let us make our own materials. Let us, and I'm telling you, a lot of people can't go this far, and they think it's too much of a stretch. It's just spiritual, I don't know, fluff. I don't think it is. I believe the, the greatest issue at the Tower of Babel goes all the way back to the very beginning of the inception of the idea when mankind said, of course, let us ascend to be like the Most High. Sounds a little Luciferian, don't you think? And they said, let's start creating our own materials. Let's become creators, right? Let's become creators and then build by our own creation from our own man-made, man-derived materials that we even ourselves create to create a tower to ascend. I believe that was the greatest downfall. Let us begin to make our own materials, man-made bricks, instead of the stone that Yahweh already provided. I feel that those are connected. So again, let's just talk about this again for a couple moments because I want to drive this home over and over. An altar is a response. An altar is a response. We're going to talk about a couple things um, where we see that play out with men in Scripture. Number one, an altar is a response to a promise. Okay? Abraham. He was like the human tent. We, man, we taught on this. Um, this is one of my favorite things to teach on. Um, 
when I when I shared the the series about Isaac and his traveling as a sojourner and how we are meant to be sojourners and travelers and unless we listen to that instruction and become people who move and who move and who move we will find what Isaac did which is constant constant friction with what with the inhabitants of the land the inhabitants of the land said get out of here this is ours and you know what I said in that series and I'll say it again that's true that's true that's why the evangelical Christian movement that wants to overthrow the governments of men and establish and somehow cram godly principles and laws to govern nations of men will never, ever work. It will never work. It will never work. Have I said that before on the program? Abraham responded to a promise as he willingly gave himself to forsake his land and become a traveler sojourner for the rest of his days. Number two, number one is to a promise. Number two, an altar is your response to a promise fulfilled that, we're, that we have already talked in measure about Noah and the Ark of Deliverance. And Yeshua is, a, is the, the pinnacle example that we're going to get to as we, again, remember what we're going towards, which is we have an altar, a, a promise that has been fulfilled. An altar, biblically, is a holy, sacred space, memorialized, a place of remembrance and calling upon the name of the Lord. As we're told in Genesis, Genesis 4, when men began to call upon the name of the Lord, that was obviously a pretty big deal. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Abraham calls out, calls to, calls upon the name of the Lord. Let me see if I can just read that real quick. If I can get this big old honking thing out. I tell you all the time that I try not to spend ridiculous amounts of time on, on prep work on this as far as presentation goes. <sighs> Yahweh said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house into a land I'll show you, and I'll make you a great nation and bless you. Make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you, curse him that curses you, and shall all you shall all families in the earth be blessed. Abraham departed. As Yahweh had spoken unto him, Lot went with him. Abraham was, Abram was 75 years old when he departed. He took Sarah. Uh, all these things. How much will I read? Uh, the whole point of this is simple. Abraham goes forth and he travels. He journeyed. And he goes to the Negev. The whole point of why I'm bringing this up for this part is the second part about an altar is a response to a promise. We know, man, if there's ever any individual in the Bible that's recorded for us for all time, it's Abraham, who is a man who is marked to be a man of promise. And he becomes the first man specifically named to call out to the Lord. He calls out to the Lord. At Bethel, Yahweh's house, we see him pitch his tent. He clearly becomes a sojourner. He leaves everything he knows. He becomes a traveler. And he builds an altar, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. 
And I want to I want to use this scripture specifically to make a point clear to us in regards to an altar being a memorial and a marker. In many cases, for all generations, okay. <laughs> And let's look at this. Verse 6 we see in, in chapter 12 that he goes to this plain of Moray. And there's this, this mysterious tree there. Now, I've spent some time on this could have been its own standalone topic. There's this mysterious tree. Some call it a terebinth tree. Some call it an oak tree. And it's at Shechem where Abraham stopped when he first entered Canaan. This close to the mountains of Ebal and, and um, Gerizim. And, and you, you and I would probably say in just our yawning, you know, spiritual condition, big deal, it's a tree, right? But man, I spent, I don't know, one afternoon weeks ago looking into this terebinth tree. I'm like, man, this thing is all over the word of God, this terebinth tree. So... This, this plain of Moray begins to show us Yahweh's perspective, perhaps we could say, appropriately, of a, of a significant, marked, holy, consecrated space. Okay? And so, fast forward. Okay, so this tree is here in the plain of Moray. And, and fast forward 175 years for the sake of time. And this marked holy space continues, okay? So there is, a, there is a, an altar erected to memorialize Abraham calling out, calling upon the name of the Lord, crying out to him to what? To receive a promise. So an altar is erected to memorialize that fact. And it's at this tree. This mysterious tree is there. And so... To, to show this pattern about how Yahweh loves to be memorialized, and I believe he loves that ideal, the, the pattern of memorializing him <coughs> and remembering him. It's all throughout the scriptures. Remembering the works of his hands. It makes its way to New Testament teaching as well. How many times do we see? Reflecting back to Psalms and and other verses that are declaring, in the midst of the assembly, I will what? Declare the works of Yahweh. So in Genesis chapter 35, now we're fast-forwarding all the way towards the end of Genesis. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there to Yahweh, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Okay, so again, we've moved from Abraham all the way down to Jacob now. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Remove the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let's arise up and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to Yahweh who answered me on the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. He wants to build a memorial, a marker, as he was instructed. Verse 4, So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth, which was near Shechem. Okay? History would say that this is the same place where Abraham erected an altar to Yahweh Elohim. Years and years before. A significant, marked, holy place. 
And now Jacob's here, same scene, same place, burying the false idols at the foot of this tree. Jacob's well was in the plain of Moreh. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 29, It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, that you shall place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Okay, so we're at the same place again. Are they not across the Jordan west of the road towards the sunset in the land of the Canaanites opposite Gilgal beside the oaks, terebinths of Moray? Okay, again, a memorial, a marker. It's pointing back. It's pointing back. Now, these people would have known that. We're ignorant here. 2021, for the most part, we've, we've lost so much, which is why we're trying to rediscover the ancient way, because it's not been handed to us. But they would have known, oh, the oaks, the terebinth tree, man. Jacob, Abraham. You're about to cross the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land, which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you, and you shall possess it and live in it. And you shall be careful to do all the statutes and judgments which I'm placing before you today. Now where? Beside the oak, terebinth tree of Moray. In Judges chapter 6, this continues. The angel of Yahweh came and sat under the terebinth tree. What's going on there? Well, he called Gideon, telling him that Yahweh was with him. He would be a valiant, victorious warrior. Where? He was told by the angel of Yahweh, by the terebinth tree in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 9, verse 6. All the men of Shechem assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king. Where? By the terebinth of the pillar at Shechem. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? The whole reason I'm saying this is surely not for a Bible history lesson. This is to make a point that Yahweh God loves memorials. He loves markers. He loves an altar. He loves a memorial of his people looking back through the ages and remembering how he moved on their behalf. Why? Because when these people saw this and when they made that connection of where they themselves were standing, that's for me too. That is a, a reminder of the works of my Elohim, right? In the first Kings chapter 13 account, as we already talked about, I told you I was going to talk about this, the man of God and the old prophet. Where do you think a lot of what's going on is taking place? The man of God is found sitting underneath the great terebinth tree. Why does this matter? Is it a stretch? I don't know. <laughs> Let's read the text and see. This is about the man of God. 1 Kings chapter 13. This picks up, uh, I think it's 1 through 5. Behold, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing at the altar to burn incense. And he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. Pause as we bring part two here to a close. I'm going to read more text. Please make a note here. Altar is all over this text. And what's taking place? They're at the great terebinth tree 
in the plains of Moray. Yahweh loves to do something on behalf of humanity, and, and mankind receives it, and in many times covenantally joins himself with the Eternal Father. And they make a marker, and they make a memorial, they build an altar, and they say, this will forever be a marked, holy, consecrated space where Yahweh God met with man. And in many cases, he met with me. It was a memorial then when it was established. It was a memorial for the people who saw and remembered Jacob and Abraham, and oh, that's where this took place. And it's a promise to those individuals and to us that this is what Yahweh Elohim does. The Yahweh, the Elohim of Elohims, man, he moves on the behalf of his men, of consecrated, marked, holy people. It's his pattern. It's his covenantal reality. Let's continue reading 1 Kings 13. Again, this is the man of God account. Um, and so this is going on talking about um, Jeroboam. He's standing at the altar to burn incense. He cries out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall burn on you. And he gave a sign on the same day saying, quote, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn to pieces, and the ashes are on it, which are on it shall be poured out. Now when the king heard the statement of the man of God, which he cried out against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. We know then his hand was shriveled up, dried up. He couldn't even bring it back. It just kind of stuck there. But his hand, which he had stretched out towards him, dried up. The altar also was torn to pieces, and the ashes were poured out from the altar in accordance with the sign which with the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Now, what's all over this text, y'all? Altar, plains of Moray, terebinth tree, where the word of the Lord was coming through this man of God to what? To say, the altar has become defiled. Things have got to get cleaned up and consecrated around here again. And in closing, I want to make it clear that, friends, I believe that in all this understanding that we're hopefully getting to some clarity on any level at all, is that I believe it's the same today as it has always been. Maybe the Father will be kind and give me words to just bring this to a culmination in the next part. Because I feel something in me that the Spirit is saying about, like, fast-forwarding through time, going through the timeline of what we've already covered into right now to the fact that, again, we're about to get to, we have an altar. I have to say, I feel like it's become defiled again. It's become profaned. The altar has been altered. We've dirtied it all up. Even in our own best intentions, and I think we'll just get to that and bring it to the culmination of the series. I want you to think about that, though, as we get to the, the final part here. But in closing specifically for part two, what I hope to drive home with this part specifically is the fact, to use this as one example, that Yahweh loves marked, holy, consecrated places where men 
recognized the work of the Father on their behalf and said, I want to respond. I want to memorialize what he has done. Where God meets with men. A promise, sometimes a promise fulfilled. So we have an altar. That's what we're going to get to next. Bring it to a close. Thank you for watching the Path to Zion podcast. We are rediscovering the ancient way. Reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. Come to where you are. Have you out here. Have a conversation on the phone. Do a video chat. I don't care. Path to Zion podcast at gmail.com is the way to reach out to us or, of course, on our Facebook page. Thank you for watching. We will be back to conclude this series. We have an altar right after this. Amen.